in starting Circular Union, I really wanted to have a space that freed uh, designers up and freed our kind of business collaborators up to think really outside their traditional all day to day, to be critical about the material choices they were making, to experiment, to kind of step outside the traditional pressures of industry and product creation. Hi and welcome to the Story of Design podcast. I'm Karina, your host, creator of the design story, who truly believes that there is so much more to design than meets the eye. This is a podcast that asks the why around design. We'll dig into designers, creative thinkers, and businesses that have stakes in shaping the future of the design industry. I'm inviting you all to join me in connecting with the effects of good, well-thought-of design. So let's begin. This episode is sponsored by BioLiving, an innovator in sustainable weaving practices for design and architectural applications. So, so thrilled today to be able to chat with Mariah Wright, who founded Circular Union in 2019. And Circular Union in itself is a cross-industry multidisciplinary collective focused on the future of sustainable materials and design. Its vision is to find solutions that shift our linear design model to one that finds infinite regenerative value. And to fulfill this reformation, Circular Union provides insights to trends and innovation opportunities in hopes to help more and more people and companies expand their sustainability reach and also to adopt this future-focused approach to sustainable processes. Brands they have collaborated with include but are not limited to Campari, PepsiCo, Moe Hennessy, General Mills, and VDF in collaboration with Ventura Projects, where they release these mushroom-based wood and fabric dyes, which we will certainly talk about today. <laughs> so thanks so much, Mariah, for this opportunity. Thank you for having me, Karina. This is really, a really exciting. And of course, I'd love to talk all things design and um, kind of what we're up to at Circular Union as well. That's awesome. So maybe to start, Mariah, it would be great if you can tell us a little bit more about Circular Union. Yeah, so Circular Union is, um, as you said, you gave a very good and thorough introduction. Um, We are a little about a year old now. Um, We're based in Maine and New York. Um, New York is where my kind of um, main work has come from. I work a lot with um, bigger brands focused on um, futures and foresight and really thinking about their innovation opportunities um, through research and kind of framing that for them. Um, But Circular Union really grew out of this desire to focus more explicitly on sustainable design and, and thinking about that from both a kind of research perspective and really wanting to understand how we could open this up as not just and I think Karina we've talked about this a little bit before like being a quite niche design field to something that feels like it has the the potential to really be the kind of mainstream bar at which all designers design um, and also thinking about you know new opportunities and space for 
creative innovation that doesn't necessarily take place under the traditional kind of constraints of developing a, a product in a very commercial sense. What have your projects been revolving around lately? Um, so we have a pretty broad, um, broad base. A lot of my background has been in food and drink, um, but in the last year, a lot of our focus has been around color. Um, color is a really interesting one. I think from a kind of design and aesthetics perspective, it touches so many points of our of our lives and our design process. Um, but a lot of the kind of traditions and standards within color is really toxic and polluting. Um, I think it's something around 20% of all global water pollution comes from textile dyes. So it's an industry that needs a massive overhaul. And I think that there's also a lot of opportunity to um, reinvestigate where we're kind of sourcing our color pigments from. So in the last year, we've worked on these kind of two projects. Um, one, we've been looking a lot at wood ash, like industrial wood ash, and how that kind of pure carbon that might, you know, normally be thrown away can actually be a great dye source for textiles and uh, wood and furniture um, and even some concrete. And then the other piece, as you mentioned, is all around um, mushrooms and looking at kind of new pigment sources from the woods and forage sources and working with mushroom farmers, which has been really fun. And that is a whole world. Like the mushroom community is wild and I love it. <laughs> That's great though. Always learning from people in different fields, right? So yeah. Do you mind walking us through the process of creating these natural dyes? Yes. Yes. So um, the this big project that has been uh, almost a year in research has really been looking at um, mushrooms as a, as a dye source. So there is some knowledge around mushrooms as, as dyes. There was a lot of stuff that was done in the 1970s in like Southern California, um, but nothing that really applied to wood. And that was something that we're really interested in is um, in Maine, which is where half of our studio is based. Um, there's a huge amount of um, pine trees and it's a very sustainable material source. And so I was thinking about how can we really elevate and celebrate pine, which, you know, might be seen as a quite like cheap and undesirable material as something that can be really beautiful and, and celebrated. Um, and we wanted to source a color pigment that was uh, local to where we were. It was something that, um, you know, was going to require a really minimal impact to actually, you know, celebrate these and create these colors. So we worked with mushroom farmers and mushroom foragers uh, and we create something kind of like a mushroom tea. <laughs> uh, it actually looks like you're making a giant bag of like a giant pot of tea when you're creating it. So um, we take uh, the mushrooms that we want to dye with, we put them in a huge bag, uh, we boil them um, or you know if it's warm we can also just leave them out in the sun which is a little bit more minimal to do than we like to do uh, and it creates a kind of um, really rich tea like um, dye bath uh, and then we soak the wood that we are going to dye in um, the bath with a mordant and it normally takes about 24 hours the whole process um, but the, the kind of natural tannins in the mushrooms are what dyes the wood. And we've been able to get 
ranges from, you know, depending on the mushroom and the way we've treated the wood, from like bright yellow to bright pink. The colors have been really amazing. So it's been a um, really fun and exciting process and one that there's still like very little knowledge about. So it's actually been really cool to just continue to learn and work with foragers and um, kind of expand, expand this, this field in a way. And I would assume that these colors stay on the wood forever, right? As they really soak in the hues. Yeah, so they're, um, it's, it's can be quite tricky developing colors because you want to, or I should say natural colors, because you want to ensure that it's, um, you know, light stable and it's going to be a color that's strong for, for many, many years. Um, so we light test all of our, all of our colors and we've had really good results with them not fading, but not, it really depends on, um, like the tannins in the mushroom, um, which are kind of these chemical bonds that actually adhere the, the color of the, um, of the mushroom to the wood, but they, they've been lasting really well, which has been exciting to see because that's also a worry is that you develop all these recipes and then you put them in the sun and you have no color. So <laughs> that's also been nail biting, but we've been really um, reassured by just kind of waiting <laughs> and seeing how things change yeah. over time. Oh, that's great. And that's all right, though. I think I'm pretty sure that it is the case where natural mixed with natural. So even if they do fade, they will fade naturally as well. Yeah, I mean, hopefully there's minimal fading, but I think that is something from a, and, and it's a good point. Like it's also kind of reevaluating our expectations of color and, and the mindset around um, kind of like perfect and imperfect and, and really celebrating that. I know um, for me, one of the big things is not necessarily that every color piece that we create is going to be, um, you know, I believe will be strong over time, but it's nearly impossible to have a perfectly consistent uh, like dye bath, right? There's always going to be like a spider or a bug or like something that lands on your creation and you yeah. get like a little watermark or, and instead of, you know, really being frustrated by that, you know, we've slowly had to learn. And I think it's an exciting time in design in that way to really say, you know, this is something that is kind of a captures a moment in time and a season and um, there'll be nothing like it creatable again. And that really celebrates the rarity and the kind of specialness. And, um, and, I, and I think that, you know, hopefully makes us value the products and objects we have more as well is that they're you know distinct no I so personally love um, the wabi-sabi style or wabi-sabi approach to design right in the appreciating every bits of imperfection I think it really adds value to any product um, anyways um, to be involved in sustainable practices is a huge scope right um, you can be in the production of things manufacturing or even in the customer touch point um, I'm just wondering, why do you choose to be involved in the process? Um, like, like in the example of mushroom hues, um, color is an element of any object, right? It's not the object or the end product itself. Um, yeah. So why did you choose this, and or what's the beauty of being involved in the process? It's a really good question, and it's one that I kind of have gone 
back and forth a lot with as well because my background is more research um you know kind of getting more into a making practice is something that's happened for me more lately um and a big part of it is I think there's a huge amount of knowledge that you gain through actually going through the process of creating something and I feel like especially now it's really underplayed like having the having the kind of knowledge of actually making something with your hands and going through the design process of iterating and iterating and iterating it really gives you a confidence in what you're in what you're making but it also kind of teaches you the relationship that you need to have with the materials and how far you can push them and what what you can kind of give and i think it 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 deepens your making knowledge it deepens your empathy to the materials that you're creating with and um, for me, it's been a really invaluable way to think about research, not just from like a very high level academic perspective, but from a really kind of testing, trialing, knowing, failing perspective. Yeah. Since you mentioned your background, um, why don't you tell us more about it? Um, I mean, you did mention a little bit about it before. Um, about your past and why did you decided to start Circular Union. But I was thinking more of uh, your outlook on the future because it must take part on this too, right? Um, is there something that you foresee in the future that triggered you to doing this? Oh, another good question. Um, I think there's a lot of energy and interest and enthusiasm and desire to think about design in, in a different way, to think about design as having to be more accountable than just making a good product, but how is that product actually making people's lives better and richer and um, you know not creating such a negative impact on the environment? Um, I think one of the struggles that like, I personally had is that there was kind of this division, at least how I was seeing it, where a lot of the energy towards sustainable design was going more into a marketing perspective. And I was struggling to see like really meaningful innovation take root a lot of the time. Um, you know, there's definitely massive exceptions to that rule, but you know, greenwashing is a real reality of a lot of sustainable design in, in my experience. Um, so in starting circular union, I really wanted to have a space that, freed uh, designers up and freed our kind of business collaborators up to think um, really outside their traditional day to day to be critical about the material choices they were making to experiment to um, kind of step outside the traditional pressures of of industry and um, product creation and I think as part of that you know looking forward especially now the world is in such a strange place. I, I think there's a massive opportunity to be thinking more long-term about how we design, um, to be thinking more meaningfully about our kind of responsibility. And, um, you know, if we actually want to create a, a better design legacy now that we have this, this massive turning point um, where everything from supply chains to, you know, even like, sort of consumer mindset is, is really up in the air at the moment. So I'm, I'm kind of hedging my bets on this being just a, a great turning point for, for designers. Right, right. Because what you do is also sort of consulting brands, right? And helping them realize 
their potentials and also constantly challenging them on how to become more sustainable. And I think, yes, there are many, many innovations on new materials these days, but a lot of the times, I think they're still considered novelty, yeah? I mean, yes, they're cool, but I guess um, in order to make a large impact or a large-scale impact, um, many businesses have to be using this or many people have to adopt this new concept. Or another way of saying this would be... um, it should be the new normal, right? So how do you think we can make this thing that's quote-unquote cool to become the new normal? What ideas need to be challenged and what barriers need to be overcome? Ooh, it's, a, it's a tough question, but it's a, it's a good one. Um, I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges in my mind for sustainable design is to really be critical about consumption i think overconsumption is one of the you know kind of biggest hurdles of um you know actually creating products that are are going to um meaningfully impact the kind of environmental impact of what we make we just make too many things too poorly and there's too much of it mm-hmm. um i i think that is one of the most critical things that we can begin to change. And and I hope that there's some momentum, you know, at the moment where we're seeing people buy so much less, both because they, you know, are financially in a very different position as so many of us are, but also, you know, just really interrogating their life and thinking, do I need all these things that I have around me? So I actually, instead of seeing that as a real detriment to design, I think it's actually a really liberating thing to happen to design, this idea that, you know, we can make less, but we can make less better. Um, I think it's a really um, meaningful shift to how we can, um, you know, begin to reposition ourselves. And for instance, in the context of color, um, you know, the mushroom processes that we've been working on, they're, they're quite labor intensive. Um, It takes a lot of time. It's something that um, like is very seasonally driven. You know, we can only get certain colors in the summer based on when certain mushrooms are coming into bloom. Like there's a lot of things that don't necessarily line up with having a huge scale production operation. Um, But I think as, you know, we really think about wanting more value in the objects that we have and wanting them to be more kind of connected and um, speak to more responsibility, then there's room for these kind of, um, you know, more kind of process driven approaches to, to take root. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm hopeful for. I I think that that's really the, the biggest thing is, um, you know, making, making room and finding value in things that aren't necessarily designed at the most mass scale. Yeah, no, I so agree that changing consumption behavior will be the biggest game changer. But I guess these bigger companies can also help these consumers to make better changes, right? Um, There will be a faster process rather than having to wait for these customers to change their mindset. Yeah, that's a really important point too. It's like, where does change come from? And I think it's kind of both. I mean, just like... Anecdotally, I live in New York and I think all of my, everyone I know at some point in the last few weeks in this lockdown has 
cleaned through their closet, has reorganized every cabinet in their house. Like, and it's really made them take stock of like what they have and what they care about and does it really serve them? And um, I think that like business and design opportunities to come forward and say, you know, after this huge kind of moment, how do we, how do we actually speak to this desire of like, you know, really going back to less and really delivering in a way that we've kind of become lazy about delivering. Um, so I, I think it comes from a lot of different fronts and, I think you're really right too. You have to put forward, you know, kind of alternative visions for people to get behind it and, and see the value in doing something different. Um, but I also think people are really part of creating that future too. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So um, back to this color exploration, uh, must use, right? Uh, where do you plan to take this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always really tempting maybe having, I'm sure a lot of designers can relate to this when you develop a technique or a process and it's working and you're getting good results. That, you know, it's really hard to not just be like, I'm going to create a product or a company. I'm going to make chairs. I'm going to make, and I, I definitely, there's a piece of that that's, that's really interesting to me. Um, but I think, you know, coming from more of a research perspective, I'm really interested in how, um, you know, this kind of work isn't necessarily about such a direct route to market, but it can really be about sharing knowledge, um, collaborating with people from different fields, um, you know, having something that's like more open and evolving and working with other people that I can learn from as, as well. Um, one of the things that I've been really interested in, um, which is maybe like a, a little bit, I think it's a little bit uh, speaks to the changing nature of business too, is that, you know, if I were able to scale this process up massively, there's an opportunity to look at like mushroom farms, for instance. Um, a lot of, this is, was all news to me, but like a lot of um, sales of mushrooms are really dictated by the aesthetics of them. So like people love like a perfectly plump round mushroom. And so there's actually a lot of um, in the bigger farms, there's a lot of waste because if mushroom is imperfect or an insect bites it, you know, they're not able to, to sell it and they kind of just compost them, but actually saying, you know, this could be a whole like reasonably cheap um, color source, you know, you could work with someone on the scale of architecture or someone on the scale of like a larger fashion brand and actually have this kind of like symbiotic business relationship where you're not like mining for new pigment sources. You're not having to waste um, a material that might actually have a home. So I think it's just like those creative networks and relationships that are always evolving um is something i'm really really excited about and hopefully that's something that's so much more beyond like our own practice um and we just keep on sort of feeding off each other in that way hmm. yeah that's awesome so what's next in circular union what other things or areas or scope you would like to explore more through this platform um, because I'm pretty sure the hues are just a start, right? Ooh, um, I think it's, uh, there's a lot of different things. I mean, food and drink is kind of where I came from. So there's a lot of interest in, in that space, but 
I, I think for me, it's also these like kind of, in my mind, false boundaries that we've created between certain industries. Like having done the project like Mush Hughes, it was so nice. It was so like um, eye-opening and inspiring to see that there could be such a connection between the materials that we create for food and the materials that we need source for fashion or for uh, product design. So actually like interrogating these like boundaries that we create and, and seeing how, you know, we can build these stronger, more dynamic relationships. So I think, you know, I'm really interested to do more in the color space. I'm really interested to do more in this kind of like, um, waste and um like alternative material sources space but it's also kind of thinking about the bigger systems in which these like kind of creation of waste and um sort of underutilized resources can actually be like really thoughtfully designed for and i feel like that's a really exciting opportunity for so many designers i mean it's a difficult time to be in design, I think, because there's so many talented people and there's, there's so much, um, you know, the, the level of work is, is so excellent and high. But on the other hand, I think that there's also this massive opportunity to really like rewrite our roles and um, what we see as, as kind of the traditional spaces that we belong in and um, you know, how we understand what informs and defines our disciplines. It's, it's really so open. And I, I hope, like for me, it's been a really liberating experience. And I think it can be for so many more people too. Maybe the last thing I was just wondering, um, the name Circular Union, what went into the thoughts? I mean, the name really reminds me of circular design. Was it something that inspired you, the this concept of circular economy? Yeah, I mean, I was, I think I was really interested in this sort of circular economy and it felt like something that so many people were talking about and it's really gaining momentum. And, um, you know, from a kind of design perspective, it really does feel like the future of where we're headed that we that we do have to think so much more rigorously about the life cycles of what we create um but i think it's also we have to think very rigorously about the kind of communities and networks we create around design so it was trying to kind of like smash those two ideas together for uh, circularity on kind of standing for a really new process and um, accountability within that and then union as in you know really breaking outside of this idea of like independent star designer does it all alone to actually you know someone that's whole job is about growing knowledge growing community building networks um and and that being that feeling like a great energy for kind of the future of design and i think we're so many of us um, you know, need to be thinking and hopefully are excited about kind of building towards that new vision. Oh, that's so amazing and so, so inspiring. I think the world really needs a system thinker like you, um, someone who constantly challenge our views, not only in design, but also in real life, right? Um, makes us really think if we need a uh, perfect paint or perfect dye or perfect anything. Maybe, like you said before, we're okay with slight imperfections because 
It reminds us of a certain time, a certain memories. So yes, no, thank you so much, Mariah, for all this. So nice to talk to you and um, and I'm so excited about what you guys are building as well. And I think to that point about community, it's, you know, it's, it's really excellent just to have a, a home to share some of these ideas and to see other people doing, you know, other work across so many different industries. It's, um, it's really needed, I think, for us all to feel like there's, there's like a connective thread in, in the way we're thinking and we're not necessarily all just kind of off on our own trying to push these agendas forward. Yeah, let's work together on making this global change happen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please connect with us on our website and social media. Our Instagram is the design story with two Y's because the one Y was already taken. But in all seriousness, we would really love to hear from you. So shoot us feedback, questions, and share with your friends. If this is your first time on Story of Design, welcome to the community. Subscribe and leave a review if this motivates you in some ways. Take care and stay inspired.